0: So the tidal filter, so the way we got that is, the, is that filters are, are used every day in our lives. Uh, we don't even think about them very much, um, but we have air filters in our homes, which are protecting the indoor coil from impurities uh, so that your house can cool more efficiently. Uh, we have oil filters that are in our vehicles and on our engines, which cleans out all the impurities uh, going through the engine. And then uh, without filters damage can obviously occur right to the most important parts of the system or in the description that I gave to you of of an engine. So when it comes to faith, we also need the right times of filters to effectively live our lives as followers of Jesus. So so when it comes to faith, we also need the right type of filters to effectively live as followers of Jesus. So, for those of you that haven't been with us, uh, or those of you that even have been with us, I'm going to give a quick summary of what the previous three weeks were about as we enter into today's message. So, during week one, we focused on the Jude's greeting in the letter, which amplified that we're called by God to live for God, so we can enjoy life with God. Highlighting the difference between pride and humility, and the difference between me being the hero or God being the hero. During week two, the message was centered around cultural opinion of what it means to be good, and we juxtaposed that to how the the Bible defines good, uh, which clearly states that only God is truly good. And at the end, it became clear that salvation comes to those who are willing to let go of what they're holding on to to get peace with God. And then last week, we reflected on how we live in a culture that values a form of Gnosticism, a belief that human beings uh, contain a piece of God. There's a highest good or a divine spark within within a human, within themselves, and we could do whatever we want in our body without affecting our soul. So at the close of that message, we were reminded that God could have chosen anyone in the world as his child, but he chose me and he chose you. And as we grow in our trust of him, There's going to be some times where we may fall backwards, but His love for us and His choice of us is never, ever going to change. So this week, we're going to take a look at three examples that Jude provides to us as a reminder and a warning of consequences for those who choose not to surrender to God's will. We'll explore what it means to surrender to God and how a cultural view of surrendering can divide us from God and the will that He has for us. So if it's not apparent to you at this point, it this is not a coincidence that we are studying Jude at this time. A time when differences are amplified and being exploited, often to benefit an individual or a group. At a time when suspicion and distrust is ubiquitous. And we're in a time when Christian beliefs are under constant fire and ridicule. We are definitely living in some confusing times, that's for certain. So let me, let me start off by just giving you... The, an example, personal example, of how how uh, culture can divide people. So um, when, when I was in the Army, before any deployment uh, to, to Iraq, we would have a brigade-level brigade uh, leadership week-long seminar where there was some education that was occurring with us before deployment. Part of that was some cultural understanding of, of the uh, culture that we were going into. During one of our uh, brigade seminars, We had a former Iraqi general come in and speak to us. And he led off with a statement that really stuck in my mind forever. And that statement was, never trust an Iraqi. And I didn't get a good explanation or an understanding of what he meant by that. Um, And I walked away talking with some of my my peers, and and I asked them, how in the world are we supposed to deal with people when we've been told, you can never trust them. But we live in a society where trust is paramount. We are in a profession where trust is paramount. So about six, seven months into my second deployment, I finally figured out what he meant by that. What had occurred was I, I had been working with a local sheikh. We needed some repairs to be done on our base camp. I had been told that he had a team of people that worked for him that might be able to provide those repairs. So as I was speaking with him, I asked him if he could do these repairs for me. And his answer was, yes, I'll get that done. Inshallah, God willing. About four or five weeks go by. I haven't heard back from him. And I had to go to another meeting with a number of local sheikhs in the community. There was about 10 or 12 of them there. And in, in walks the gentleman that who promised to provide me something. And as we were all sitting down around the room talking, I asked him, I said, Hey. Are you going to be able to do that work for me? When do you think we can get that done? And the room went silent. And again, the response that I got was, I'm working on it, inshallah. So the eyes of these other sheikhs that were in the room just kind of started darting around. They started looking at each other. Afterwards, as I left, I looked at my translator and I said, okay, what happened in there? What did I do wrong? And he said, the sheikh can't provide what you've asked of him. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you asked him to do something. He wasn't going to tell you no, because if he would have told you no, that meant that he didn't have power. So he wasn't able to provide it. The other sheikhs in the room all knew this. So what had happened was I had inadvertently dishonored him as a man in, in his society and as a sheikh. So what that did for me is it showed me that a man's honor in the Iraqi culture was actually a little bit more important than truth. Okay, we don't see that in the Western culture. In the Western culture, if we ask somebody to do something for us, we expect an honest answer: Yes, I can do it. No, I can't. But it also questioned for me uh, how I reconciled this huge, significant difference in our culture, where trust is so important uh, to us as Americans. The bottom line was that every time I went forward in the future, I would ask, but I always had a backup plan or tried to figure out what's my backup plan if they don't come through. In some instances today, we see small, subtle, nuanced shifts with our culture. And some of this is even in the words that that we use to speak with one another. The word exclusivity. We heard about this in week two when Jeff talked about the condemnation that many people have of the church as being exclusive. The connotation is that the church is keeping people out. It's restricting certain groups or certain people. But exclusivity can also be something to mean that this is something that few people can attain, a standard. For those those of us in the military and have military backgrounds, there's certain standards of competence and capability that have to be met just to meet the basic requirements of being in the military. And there's even additional standards that have to be met for members who are, are, are part of the most special and elite forces that we have in the military. They're exclusive teams because the majority of people in our society can't meet the standard. Jeff highlighted in week two that Christianity is inclusive, but there are standards that have to be laid out to us in the gospel if we truly believe in Jesus. So let me, let me bring a little bit of this home for you. In 2008, there was an interview that was uh, being conducted on a news program, and the focus was around the elections occurring at that time. Sarah Palin, who had uh, obviously was the vice presidential candidate, uh, had been very, uh, very vocal about her Christian beliefs and there was a discussion uh, that was occurring in this interview about what is that how are the evangelicals receiving this all right so the interview had two people Vody Bacham and it had Margaret Feinberg all right the interview essentially was started off as a pretty mundane discussion about how evangelicals are receiving that a woman is in a uh, vice presidential position then it started shifting to the role of women uh, leading in churches and preaching, and Margaret Feinberg at one point, because they were both eventually pitted against each other. Margaret Feinberg at one point made the comment that she thought that Votie um reading interpretation was very narrow and it kind of put put people in a box, and it didn't include uh, what was actually going on in our society at this time with with women, and he had two responses that just absolutely stuck with me, completely reset the framework uh, for how I think about reading the Bible and understanding what God wants in my life. His first one, we're, we're, we're being evangelicals, we're about the gospel. Culture doesn't dictate truth. The gospel dictates truth. And he closed out with, I am a herald of the truth of the gospel. My job is to teach the gospel according to what the authors have said, not according to what I think the culture wants to hear. All right, so let's get it. Let's get into Jude. Let's get into Jude five through seven. Those are the three verses that we're going to be looking at. For those of you that have your Bibles, it's at the back of the Bible, right before Revelations. Uh, we're looking at three verses today, and I'm going to do my best to come back at the end of this and circle everything that I just kind of referenced. Uh, into in, into what we're talking about with these verses. Um, we've all heard about a carrot and stick approach, uh, particularly especially when we're doing negotiations, right? Carrot is, I'm giving you something good. The stick is, if you don't abide or you don't negotiate well or you don't agree to what I have here or you don't abide by what it is that I'm asking you to do, you're going to get smacked with the stick, right? These three verses are reminders of the stick. All right, there's three elements within each one of these verses. There's first a reminder. There's second, an example of not believing in God's word or being unfaithful and actions that show that we have a better way. And then third, there's a consequence that's delivered by God when he declared the timing to be right. So the letter from Jude is to a group of local churches from a from a position of oversight, similar to Steve Jobs. Jeff's used this example before. Similar to Steve Jobs, as he's leading Apple, right? He's got the vision. He's got the mission of what, what Apple, what he wants Apple to be. And if you're not in line with that mission, you're not in line with that vision. Well, then you probably shouldn't be working here. All right. Similarly, Jude's seeing things that the church leaders in the local churches were missing. So he's writing this letter to protect the culture that Jesus created and established for the church. We call that orthodoxy. And we're going to discuss that a little bit uh, later in in some uh, other other parts of the series of filters. All right, so Jew 5. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. All right. So the people that he's writing to are going down the similar path that the nation of Israel was after being rescued from Egypt. All right. We had the people, uh, the Israelis who were praying, begging to be rescued from slavery in Egypt and the mistreatment that they had, and God did that. He was faithful. Depending on your translation, you may either have God, Lord, or Jesus. Uh, Two ancient manuscripts have Jesus, which is evidenced by how early church viewed Jesus. So, God in the flesh. So, Jesus' half-brother refers to Jesus as the one who's rescuing Israel. So, there up front, that's your reminder. Here's the action that occurred. So, after promising to keep God's commandments, some of Israel turned their back on their word and rejected God out of fear and their lack of faith. So, they didn't believe they could enter, enter and conquer uh, the land that God promised because they were afraid of those who lived there. They were so afraid. <laughs> they they some of them wanted to organize and actually go back to e- go back to Egypt. So remember this is the place that they begged for God to deliver them from, but now they're so afraid they're deciding that boy, maybe that life there is a little bit better than what God has to offer for me. So seeing seeing that God led a mass exodus of 1 million people with cloud by day, fire by night, and parting the Red Sea, that just wasn't enough for some of these people. So here's the consequence. So, and, and you see the word destroyed that's in this verse. Destroyed, very strong word. The word, for, the word refers to them physically dying, while the word literally means to lose. It's clear that we can't live our way and expect to win. So as a result of their faithless, faithlessness, Everybody in the camp who was 20 years old and older was destined to die in the next 40 years. That included Moses. The leader wasn't able to enter into the promised land. And even though that there were those who were older than 20 who had faith, they were collateral damage. So it was succeeding and failing as a nation. Our decision to be unfaithful can lead to collateral damage for other people. And here's, here's a quote from a book who just she just so happens to be the author of the book that we're using to study June, and and she just puts this beautifully. Unbelief doesn't see God as the ultimate good, so it can't see sin as the ultimate evil. It instead sees sin as a good thing, and thus. God's commands as a stumbling block to joy. That's Jackie Hill Perry from her book, Gay Girl, Good God. So, God, Jude is clear. God judges sin, but it's done in his time. And it's important to remind ourselves that this time is like an island to God. He knows all things, he sees all things. Time reveals our impatience. We may think God should come through for something quickly. Or deal with someone quickly, but it doesn't always happen that way because it's happening in God's time. All right, let's go to verse 6. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority. God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. So this is a complicated part of the letter. Jude's source of information is debated amongst some uh, religious scholars. Some believe he's referring to Genesis six. Others believe he's referring to the Book of Enoch, which which isn't in our Bible. Even though there's conjecture, there's consensus on why Jude referred to this in his letter. There were angels who re- who rebelled against God, with Lucifer, because they wanted the authority that God had. So. Jude's clear. God judges sin in his time. The sin in this case was rebelling against God's authority. Specifically, God's structure and his authority. God dealt with them, placing them in a dark maximum security prison, awaiting judgment. So they are there right now still awaiting judgment. God provides us boundaries. The design is that those boundaries be respected. We had a message uh, series uh probably a year, year and a half ago, called guardrails. And that's what these boundaries are. These boundaries are these guardrails that we should be abiding by. So we have an opportunity to surrender him by putting ourselves under his boundaries. For those that start the relationship through Christ, for those who have relationships with him through Christ, to surrender to the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, in both cases, he desires us to live the freedom of those boundaries. But he also respects our no. God doesn't attempt to control or nag us. We can say no. We can go away. And when people do say no, he allows it. It does, But it doesn't change his love for us. Love cannot exist without freedom. And freedom cannot exist without responsibility. I'm reminded of this in Romans. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand Break. Understand, break the promises are heartless and have no mercy. That's Romans one twenty-eight through thirty-one. We need to be careful in assumptions that we make, because God isn't dealing with us doesn't mean that we have a pass. God's patience doesn't mean God's permission. All right, so let's go to let's go to verse uh, seven. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. So Sodom and, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is recorded in Genesis 19. Abraham begged with God, Please do not destroy the city. All right, And eventually God came to an agreement and said, Okay, you go find ten people that are righteous, and I won't destroy the city. That's not, too, that's not too high of a bar, right, to meet, you would think. Unfortunately, they didn't find ten people. These cities were destroyed as a warning. Again, God judges sin in his time. The sins in this case were arrogance and a moral lifestyle. Ezekiel 16, 49-50. Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, and laziness. While the poor and needy suffered outside her door, she was proud and committed detestable sins. So I wiped her out, if you have seen. Arrogance leads us to say no to God and God's boundaries. But God does expect that we respect His boundaries. When we're mad at Him for not meeting our expectations or wants, we are not allowing Him to be who He is, the one and only true God who created all things. Our arrogance can get the best of us as hate. And the truth is that God is free from us, though. Our demands, our expectations. When he does something for us, like he was going to relent from, you know, destroying Sodom and Gomorrah out of grace, just out of, there was ten righteous people, it's because he chooses to do that. And we really don't like when others try to manipulate us with guilt. So why would we attempt to do that with God? Arrogance also leads us to reject the way God has dealt with sin, and the consequences of arrogance and rejection is eternal judgment. God dealt with sin at the cross. Jesus took our place, took upon himself our sin, and paid our sin debt. He's not wanting anyone to reject the way that he's dealt with our sin. However, if we reject the forgiveness we receive by believing in Jesus' substitutionary death, then the consequence is eternal judgment. So at the start, I laid out that there were three elements to each verse. There's a reminder. There's an example of unfaithfulness or not believing in God's words or actions that show that we have a better way. And there's a consequence delivered by God when he declared the timing to be right. There's also a fourth element here. The consequence wasn't delivered to one individual. The consequence was delivered to a group. So in Western culture, we place more emphasis on the individual and rarely focus on the collective group. I suspect that most of you who have been following along today were trying to connect today's message with, what does this mean to me as an individual? How do I benefit from this message? That's natural. But we also need to think about what Jude's letter means as it relates to our country, our state, our county, and probably most importantly, to our families and to our Southridge Church. Our decision to be unfaithful can lead to collateral damage for other people. All right, so we're going to start wrapping up here. I recently saw an interview with uh, Rain Wilson. He's, he was one of the actors on the sitcom The Office and he was talking about the impact of that sitcom uh, that The Office had on comedy. He relayed a story that comedy is like a cargo ship that can't make quick sharp turns but The Office had turned comedy one degree in a new direction. It was the beginning of a change to comedy. So that example got me to thinking that God's work is like a cargo ship. It's big it's powerful and it provides us a straight course that leads to him but when we don't hold god's teachings as a truth and allow culturally culturally grounded concepts teachings or criticisms to creep in it alters the course that god created and we slowly start turning that turn can be very subtle just 1 degree off course doesn't seem like much but for those that are pilots they know that one degree off course every 60, every 60 miles means that they're going to miss their destination by one mile. So this is why it's so important for us to study the Word and be in community with one another. Otherwise, we're open to those slight, small, nuanced course changes that can cause us to drift further and further from God. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves completely lost we're going to find ourselves as the example of the consequences that Jude reminds us of in verses 5-7. through So when we don't like God's way of living, His boundaries or His definition of what's right and wrong as it clashes with culture, the temptation is to surrender to a God who is like us rather than surrender to God who desires us to be like Him. When it comes to cultural and political issues, God desires us to be like Him because there's freedom and satisfaction living under His boundaries. When it comes to private and personal matters, God desires us to be like Him because there's freedom and satisfaction living under His boundaries. So I've relayed to some of you that my first memories are are being in a swimming pool with my mom. I grew up swimming competitively, and for me there's something very, very comforting about being in water. I've taught more than a few people how to swim. The common theme for each of them in learning is don't tense up and don't struggle. To be comfortable in the water, a person has to relax. They have to be calm. They have to surrender from their natural tendencies. Similarly, in order to live the life following Jesus, we need the filter of surrender. Today, as we pray out, I'd like to pray from Jeremiah 10, 23 through 24. Uh, the words should be on the screen, uh, so please play, pray along with me. I know, Lord, that our lives are not our own. We are not able to plan our own course, so correct me, Lord. But please be gentle. Do not correct me in anger, for I would die. Amen.